Hello everyone, my name's Jan, I'm married to Nicholas, and we've got three beautiful children, Malachi, Judah, and Joel. Is it echoey, is it just me? Okay, I hope you're all well, and um, it is always such a delight to preach and share the message. Hello, Linz. <laughs> so nice to see you. Um, so, Glenridge, I have had on my heart to preach on holy habits. And I've wrestled with this, this title, but um, Nick and I have really been on a journey of resetting our lives. I read this incredible book could, called um, Habits of the Household by Justin Early, and it really changed my world. And, um, you know, we want to be in it for the long haul. I don't want to get to 10 years down the line and I'm so tired and burnt out. I want, like, Nick and I want to live with longevity for Jesus. I want to be like Doug and Lex that are, like, roaring for Jesus still in their 60s. And so um, the Lord has convicted us of um, living just with, with good habits. And so, Glenridge, we're in the season of the downpour. I've got this picture because I feel like it's such a beautiful, accurate picture. But I really sense and I know that at our meetings there is incredible hunger in the room. The Holy Spirit is moving. Our, our um, worshiper are like literally going on for an hour. We're dancing in the river of God here. He is moving. And we, I don't know if you can feel it. I can certainly feel it that there is a downpour of the presence of Jesus Christ. And, um, but I feel this heed from heaven. And so my message today is this, this, this caution from heaven because the downpour can happen, but we don't have the, the strength or character or depth to sustain it. Most revivals have only happened for a few years and then they stop. But like I feel God has called us to be a household that, that can carry the weight of his glory forevermore you know, into eternity with him. And so um, we want to be a sustainable priesthood that can house his presence because of the depth we've built. And so if our houses, and when I speak about houses, I speak about like my house, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a house of the Holy Spirit. And our house is Glenridge. If, if you look at it like we are decorated with calling and purpose, when somebody prophesies, it's like another beautiful picture gets put onto the outside of the house or, you know, there's decorations on your house. That's the calling and destiny. But what does the foundations and the structure of the house look like? Can we bear the weight of his glory? Can we stand true and tested amidst the great revival? For a house to run well, there has to be rhythms, habits, routines. I know with little children, you know that they thrive on routine. If they have a good day where they have had all three meals and like little Joel has naps, we know that the evening's gonna run well and it's gonna go well. But if we've had a chaotic day with no rhythms, no good habits, no routines, it throws the night out and the canard don't have any sleep. So the next picture is of a river. So just as a river has to have these banks in order for the river, the water to flow through, so too our habits, like the banks of our lives, that allow the river of God, the Holy Spirit, to run through us. And um, where there are no banks, it often produces a swamp, which is stagnant, and it's smelly, and there's no life there. But when we have banks in our lives, the habits, our rhythms, our routines, which some people can even call them disciplines, then actually the river of God can run through and there is life because wherever the river goes, there is life and it brings healing and wholesome. 
So today I believe the Holy Spirit's inviting us to reset, look at our lives, look at the banks, look at the structures of our, of our houses. And my, my immense desire is that we would leave reflecting on the habits of our lives. Are they producing a life that, um, that will, will bring the overflow of the Holy Spirit? So what are our habits? Just quickly, what are our habits? Our habits are things we do over and over. By definition, habits are little, but the, the total impact of our habits is as big as each habit is tiny. So for example, I wake up in the morning, maybe I'll, I'll have a quiet, my, one of my habits I'm really trying to instill is to wake up and have time with Jesus. Let his truth flood my mind before anything else comes in. We drive to school and the other day I got scolded by my kids because dad normally drives them to school. And on the way, he has a habit with the boys. And he says, and they know, when they get to the robot by Clifton, dad goes, Nick goes, Thank you, Lord, for our city, Anna. And then they all go in chorus. See, we give you all the glory. We love you, Lord. You're our reward. You're all we're living for. And that's their habit. And so I took them to school the other day, and we were nearly at We Friends. And they were like, Mom, you haven't done the prayer. We can't get to school without the prayer. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's do the prayer. But those are habits that I'm actually instilling them the way of Jesus, prayerfulness. Before we start our day, it's important to pause and pray. And so habit aren't, um, habits aren't just actions that form our routines, but acts of worship that form our hearts. And this is why I'm so passionate, because I honestly believe that habits aren't just actions that form our routines, but acts of worship that form our hearts. And Sebi and Tula brought a word to the eldership that they felt worship was key in this season. And I want to say, friends, that it's not just corporate worship or private worship, but it's our habits are our worship unto the Lord. What are your daily habits? Are they producing a heart that from it overflows a wellspring of life in accordance with, with Proverbs 4.8? Um, I love this. Justin Early says, to steward our habits is to steward our hearts. To steward our habits is to steward our families. To steward our habits as a household of Glenridge is actually to steward what God is doing with us. Ephesians 3.19 says, Paul is praying that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I can stand here and pray that, that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Are your habits producing, and, and I say this to myself, um, a life that's in line with the fullness of all God intended or half measures? Think about it. So I'm going to touch on five, um, four. I've actually cut them down because Ray would prefer me to go. I've got four. <laughs> Five habits that need to be stronger than the cultural patterns of our time. And I really, I could have gone on, I had so many, but I really felt the Holy Spirit wanted to highlight these four. So, so the, the next slide, um, Brad, you can put up is, persistence must be stronger than resistance. Prayer must be stronger than our pains. Celebration must be stronger than cynicism. And church community must be stronger than cultural relativity. Four habits that we, that Holy Spirit is inviting us into as a household today. So, let's kick it. I'm watching the time. Persistence must be stronger than resistance. So I've got a crazy story. Some of you might have heard it. But um, my beautiful wedding ring, <laughs> we were at Spur as a family and I was, we were eating sticky ribs, so I took my ring off 
I put it on the table and I was like, I'll put that back on once I've put my hand in the nice warm bowl. And um, I finished my ribs and I was like, oh my gosh, my ring's gone. <laughs> the waitress had cleared it off the table and la- like not, not knowing because it was underneath a wet wipe on the, on the table and had gone into the spurred like bins where they put all the food waste. And um, I was freaking out. Nick was shaking his head in utter dismay because we hadn't, we were like transferring the insurance, so it was now not insured. And these, some of the diamonds in my ring are from Nick's dad, who died when he was five weeks old. So this is a sentimental ring to us. It's not just a, I can replace it with insurance. So my mom-in-law, who was with me, and me go, what, well, we're going to go dig in the spur bins. And <laughs> Nick was like, bye-bye, you can go, better come back with the ring. <laughs> so I go to the spur, we go into the back kitchen, and the staff are so loving, and they give us three white bins to take all the waste and put that on the table, and we start patting down all the food, all the leftovers. And <laughs> my mom-in-law and me and the one other beautiful cleaner who was helping us, and we st- honestly were there for like an hour, and we did it. We did this exercise three times because we just couldn't find the ring. And I was like, Jill, my mom-in-law was like, Jan, you're going to have to get over it. We can always get a new ring. I'm like, I can't get a new ring. I've got to look at Nick's face when I get out of here that he's upset with me. So I was like, Holy Spirit, please help me just one more time. So we do it one more time. And like in the, in the moment, the, the cleaner goes, oh, I found your ring. I found and the whole Spurs staff just clap and cheer. And honestly, we're all so excited that we found my ring. And so um, what is the point of the story? Is that persistence leads to breakthrough. And I know that that's such a basic illustration, but like I had to persist, persist in order to get the reward of my ring. And so friends, I feel like the Holy Spirit is inviting us as a house to persist on what he said, to persist, like Luke 18 with the persistent widow where she wouldn't let go. And the Lord says, if that an unrighteous judge can give, how much more? This is what he says in Luke 18 verse six. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Are we being persistent with crying out to him day and night? Then he says, will he, Jesus says, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. We need to be a generation that never quits, never gives up. I think of Joel who holds onto my leg because he's been asking for the last 20 minutes to come be uppies and I'm so busy and he comes and holds on my leg and won't let go. And I get this picture of Glenridge holding onto the legs of Jesus and we're saying, we will not let you go till we see the healings, till we see the breakthrough, till we see revival, till we see the outpouring of his spirit. We've got a seat, a seat, seek, knock, ask. And we need to wrestle. And I felt like we actually, we need to have limps, not because of our sin and our hiccups or of our disobedience, but because we've been a community that has wrestled with God. Jacob um, says in Genesis 32, I will not let you go until you bless me with an angel. And he wrestles this angel. Friends, God is asking us to be a persistent generation. We must persist. We must persist. Habits are hard at first, they take time, they take practice, but repetition is formation. And as we practice and as we persist, we will see breakthrough, and I'm sure of it. So I hope you can join me on this journey of being persistent with Jesus for his promises over us. 
I'm going to skip this, this prayer one quickly because I'm going to come back to it. But the next point, celebration must be stronger than cynicism. And God really held me up on this the other day. I was preparing for another preach that I was doing, and I really felt God give me something here. But in Numbers 12, it's this quick chapter of a story of Miriam and Aaron who oppose Moses. And I won't go into it in detail, but Miriam and Aaron were basically complaining and criticizing the leadership of Moses. And um, just between themselves, and of course, the Lord heard them. And um, so the Lord hears them, calls them all together, and the Lord says, hear my words, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And um, he calls them out on them being critical about Moses' leadership. And um, what ends up happening is that it's quite hectic. God strikes Miriam with leprosy. And um, Aaron's like, no, I'm so sorry. Moses, do something. And Moses is like, oh, Lord, please have mercy on her. Heal her. And so the Lord says, you know what? She can stay outside the camp for seven days with her leprosy. And, um, and you know what happened? The whole group was held back. And it actually says here, I'm going to read it because it's so amazing. It says, so Miriam was shut Numbers 12, 15. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. We need to deal with our critical hearts because it can hold the group up. It can literally hold up what God is wanting to do if we can't get over seeing things through the eyes of negativity or seeing things like that. Criticism can hinder revival and so I actually feel as a how some of us need to repent this morning for our critical thinking. And you may know in your heart, and so I'm actually going to stop right now because I almost feel like we need to deal with the sin in the camp before we can march on into everything he has for us. Because we're marching on, and I don't want you to be left behind because of your critical heart or, or anything. So I'm going to just stop for 30 seconds. And if you feel like you only see things through a critical lens, I just want you to repent and ask for, your, ask for the Lord's forgiveness. So we leave our critical lens at the feet of Jesus right now. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. So how do we combat a critical lens, friends? I've just written here, repent. So we're we halfway there. But train our eyes to look for the good. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love always wins and love believes the best. We've actually got to practice the habit of training ourselves to look for the good. If you're prone to seeing things through a critical lens, I want you to practice every day, forever how long, three things that you find in the good. Leave church saying, I want to find three things that, that was amazing today. Or in the week, three things you're thankful for. I think we can, sorry, we can beat cynicism with gratitude. Um, so I really feel that, that celebration must become a habit. Celebration must be stronger than cynicism because we are marching into the promised land and we don't want anybody left out or holding the group back. Celebration must be stronger than cynicism. And then my next point, church community must be stronger than cultural relativity. 
So we can't follow Jesus alone. And I know I'm speaking to the choir because you're all here <laughs> at church community and most of you practice it so beautifully. I think that's what Glenridge does so well. But Jesus did not have one disciple. He had 12 disciples. It was a plural. Jesus had 12 disciples. The call to follow Jesus was and still is a call to join his community. By following Jesus together and not alone, we're able to fight the flesh. You know, we're able to be accountable. I had an a, a amazing couple that were battling with sexual purity, and you know what they did? They made a deal with, with Nick and I, and they said, when we get into a moment of temptation, we're going to come ring you. And let, like, lo and behold, they'll come ring the doorbell and be like, we need a cup of coffee, please. <laughs> but that's what community did. It made them resist sin. And so find yourselves in community. It helps us um, to help one another. We, community helps one another override our flesh by the Spirit. And um, by following Jesus together, not alone, we're able to form a resilient community of deep relationships that functions culture, counterculture to the world. If we don't have radical communal habits based on Jesus' life, because all this has to be based on the person of Jesus Christ, he is our rock, he is our foundation, we'll find ourselves settling and being shaped by the cultural patterns of our world. We just will. It's either this or that. And so what are you being shaped by? What are you being formed by? And so I just had a few examples here but um, of like worldly patterns versus um, you know, communal habits based on the way of Jesus, but take out against the meal, a meal shared around the table versus takeouts alone. It's just a, a lovely illustration. But corporate prayer and worship versus the worldly way of mindfulness and, and th those kind of retreats. The love of self, power, and riches, which is a pattern of the world, versus the selfless love and habit of gener generosity, which is the habit of Jesus. The rhythm of rushing versus the call from Jesus to be still and know him. The culture of distraction and multitasking against attention to the God-given assignment. The goal in life is to win versus the goal in life is to worship Jesus. We are radically different. We're set apart from him. And so practicing community with the priesthood encourages the way of Jesus in you. You know, I get so encouraged and my faith gets built up and strengthened when I come to church and I see somebody who's maybe struggling to fall pregnant or somebody who's still waiting for their healing or somebody grieving and they come here and they faithfully give their, put their hands up and give their praise to Jesus and give him all the affection and adoration amidst them being in the valley. That does something to you. You can't get that when you're alone. But when you come to, to this community and you see people in all walks of life and all walks of the valley in the storms of their life praising Jesus, you are moved. You are moved. So... Practice the habit of community and pull people in. We're on a journey. And my last point, just found it because I skipped it, which I'm very excited about. I'm excited about all these points, but um, prayer must be stronger than our pains. And I know that we are, we are praying church. We really are. We meet every week, and um, we have an intercessory group, we, have, we know that God is birthing the greatest movement of, of a prayerful people in this, in this hour. And so 
I really felt, and I, I could have done this whole topic on prayer and how amazing it is, but I really felt the Holy Spirit want to re-emphasize the importance and the power of praying in tongues. You know, tongues is often a um, gift of the Spirit that, that we like, oh, that maybe was an ancient truth, but no, Actually, the power of praying in tongues needs to be reinstituted into the church today, corporately and individually, because it's a weapon of our war. It's a weapon for war in this season. When we pray in tongues, we war in the spirit. Um, and so, I don't have time to go into a massive teaching, but I thought let me just refresh us. If you know that, you, if you know how to pray in tongues, but if you don't. Today is your day that God is inviting you in to come and receive this beautiful gift of praying in, the in tongues. And so why pray in tongues? Because I feel like it, 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 tongues, the gift of tongues, helps us to stay connected with Holy Spirit, with God the Father, with Jesus. It's like this lifeline, just like an umbilical cord is this lifeline for your baby to receive the blood. It's like, it's like, Praying in tongues is just this life that can flow. It edifies me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4 that the gift of tongues edifies you as a believer, as an individual. And so when I speak about praying in tongues now, I'm not referring to the gift of tongues for an individual. For example, like Lex will often come and bring um, a word in a tongue. And then often Jenny will come and deliver the interpre interpretation of the tongue. Um, so I do believe that the Holy Spirit gives the individual a gift, like Lex has that gift and Jenny has the interpretation. However, the, the, the praying in tongues is for all believers. If you're a believer, you have access to this gift today. And um, it's a habit that we need to reinstill. The expression, of this, this, the expression of the Holy Spirit through this gift is so valuable. Why wouldn't we want it, you know? Um, it, the Bible says it edifies me, and another word is it, it means to build up. So just as prophecy, like if Hilton or Bev came up here and they had a prophetic word, they started giving prophetic words, you would probably be like, I hope they choose me. Why? We all want to be chosen to be prophesied over. Why? Because it builds us up. It literally encourages us, it strengthens us, it edifies us. And so just as the gift of the prophetic edifies us, the gift of tongues edifies us intentionally, I mean individually, like it builds us up. So why wouldn't I wanna be built up when it's in my choice to practice this habit? So my conviction is that we need to get activated in this expression if we're going to get where we need to be as a, as a church, as individuals. And um, we need to demystify this gift of tongue as it's a gift given by God. And in today's culture, we, like, I know that I need edification. I need to be purified. And I can be purified by praying in tongues. So what is tongues? It's a heavenly language given to us, and it allows our spirit to talk directly to God's spirit. It removes the flesh. That's what's so beautiful is that our mind is so limited, our carnal mind is so limited by words, but when we pray in the, in, in the, in the gifts of the Spirit and in the, in the power of tongues, when we pray in tongues, our, our carnal mind is actually, in a way, disregarded, and it's like this lifeline directly where my Spirit's speaking directly to God's Spirit. Praying in tongues is the one gift given to us 
to strengthen us. All the other gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, you can go look it up, 1 Corinthians 12, are for the edification of others, like the gift of faith, it's to build faith in the room, or um, the gift of hospitality, the gift of, you know, those things, they're for other people, but the gift of tongues is for me personally, it's for you personally. God chose to birth his church on the day of Pentecost, through what? When they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, what did they do? They prayed, they spoke in tongues and uttered this tongue out of them through the Holy Spirit. And so if God chose to birth his church through the gift of tongues, then how, how important is it, is it for us to actually practice the habit of praying in tongues? If we're a Bible-believing people, and I know we are, we've got to take the word of God and what he says. They are still truth. That he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so you can go look with your home group on your personal time, but 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a great study on, on tongues. 1 Corinthians 12 is the gifts of the Spirit. We all want to know, what am I gifted in, you know? The gifts of the Spirit. I know Matt and Em's home group are about to start, I think, the gifts. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is the Spirit of the gifts, the way of love. Love is the greatest motivator for all these things. And 1 Corinthians 14 is the language of the Spirit. Tongues is the Holy Spirit speaking through an individual to God. And I think of Paul in the Bible, he had such a high value for the gift of tongues, for praying in tongues. He says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. I mean, imagine like, oh, I thank the Lord I speak more than all of you. But that's what Paul says. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And then he says, I wish all people spoke in tongues. And then later he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. This is the New Testament. Like, this is the New Testament. And so three things just on this point is that praying in the Spirit is praying the perfect will of God. And I love that Romans 8 came through because Romans 8 verse 26, I want you to listen to what it says. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know, it's so, so, it is so tough sometimes to know what is the will of God in this situation. Pray in tongues, because He knows the perfect will of God. We've got to be a people who cherish the habit of praying in tongues, because I want to be a house of the Holy Spirit. I want Him to love dwelling within me and overflow to others around me. What better way than to pray in tongues, to practice praying in tongues so that I know that He is praying the perfect will of God through me. Number two, it's a world activity. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15, Paul says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. And so you can hear that, that, that Paul in any moment can pray with his understanding, with his mind, or he can pray in the spirit, or he can sing words, songs, or he can sing in the spirit. But it's a world activity. Uh, activity. We've gotta be a people of intention. And the only way we can exercise this gift is by willfully doing it. And so if you don't know how to pray in tongues, we're gonna have a moment just now 
where we'd love to lay hands on you, but you've actually got to, you've got to willfully say something because the God is a good God and he wants to lavish this good gift on you. And thirdly, it is a learned activity. You know, when my boys learn to talk, like Joel at the moment, all he says is like, mum, 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 or dad, 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 dad. And it's so similar because actually when we pray in tongues, the Lord may only give you one little phrase, like shaba, 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 and that's all you know. And you're like, this is so silly because let's be honest, to the fleshly mind and to the the man, like to our man's mind, we're like, that is so dumb. Why are we going to do that? But we are not of this world. We're of a different world, and we need to practice the heavenly things because we're warring in the spirit realm. And we, can't, we, don't, we don't live, um, you know, we've got to have eyes to see. We've got to live with faith, faithful eyes. And so it's, it's a learned activity. It's a language we learn to utilize. We've got to be faithful because as we're faithful with that little phrase like, Shaba or Shunda, whatever God gives you, as you're faithful and as we practice it, as we practice this habit, God will download more. We've got to take these phrases and continually bring them before the Lord. And so in closing with this, this point, Jude 19 verse 20 is so beautiful. It says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. But you, dear friends, I'm going to say it again, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? Jude says here, by building ourselves up in our most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Thanks, guys. We've got to be a people who practice this habit. You know, who who want the only reason we want to practice this habit is because we want to be so aware of Jesus and what He's doing in a room. Like, I want to be one with Him. I want to be. I want to know His heartbeat. I want to hear His secrets for this world. I want to know Him. And this is one gift that we've given. Like, why wouldn't you want this gift? Because it's been freely given. If you ask, you will receive. And so as I close, because we're definitely going to have a moment of activating that gift if you don't have it, and just, and just praying corporately. But, you know, we could practice these habits. This, um, where, where did we start? We started with persistence, of being a persistent people, of praying. I had another one, worship must be stronger than worry. There's so many habits we could, we could use. We could practice these habits, but if they are not... Um, founded on the, on the way of Jesus or on the love of God, they're in vain, right? Our efforts at resetting our rhythms and changing our habits are pointless if they're not founded on Jesus. And so our habits shouldn't be to prove God's love for us. So our habits shouldn't motivate us to have more of God's love, but God's love for us should and should change the way we live. God's love for us should change our daily habits and rhythms because we are here on mission. Like we're in this world on a mission for Jesus and the King, nothing else. And so I want to first do an altar call, and I know it's scary, and I'm totally okay if there's no one, but I do believe there are some people here today that need to respond to the love of Jesus Christ and his gospel, that you want to reset your lives this morning, founded on the person of Jesus Christ, because our lives will be, will, like, 
you know, a wise man built his house upon the rock. And there's a call this morning to come and build your house upon the rock.